0: Y'all, who's excited for conference? Any hands? And who's, come on. Right, the week of conference, and to even say that and speak those words, it's just crazy to think about. The amount of planning, the amount of time and prayer that's been into this conference um, is unreal. Um, It is finally coming to fruition this weekend, and that's just so, so cool to me. Uh, So a little bit about myself. I was born in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. It is a country in Southeast Asia. You might not know where it's at, it's okay. They film Crazy Rich Asians there, so it might ring a bell, you know. Uh, but I moved, I was there, I was born there, and was raised until I was 12 years old. And eventually I would move to the United States, uh, May 15, 2009, to a little small town named Eureka. Not Eureka, Arkansas, but Eureka, Missouri. And if you're wondering why does Eureka sound so familiar, it is because it is the home Of the world-famous Six Flags theme park. Anyone been there? Yeah, yeah. More flags, more fun. So I eventually come to Missouri State. Uh, Come to Springfield. Good time to get a business degree. I got a business degree with a minor in Chinese. However, during my time in college, I would end up joining a fraternity, and I had two guys uh, come and pursue me to share the gospel and process the gospel with me. Hayden and Drew. If you're watching, I love you guys. But they processed the gospel with me, and on July 20th, 2017, my whole eternity changed because I was at a project, but it was more so than a project, is that day and that date was the day I decided to put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Safe to say a lot has changed since then, and it's been truly a blessing. So after I graduated from Missouri State with a business degree, I thought, time to go to the workforce. However, I felt like God was putting a call and a pull in my heart towards ministry. The only problem is I didn't have any biblical knowledge or background, but as fate had it, High Street was launching a new program called the High Street Institute, specifically the High Street Residency. So what did I do? I did a whole 180 on my plans. I joined the residency and 11 months went by. And through those 11 months, I learned so much about the Bible, about who God is, who Jesus is, and also the practical side of ministry. Um, it, it was truly one of the most incredible investments that I got to be a part of. And if anyone here uh, really has that in their heart or felt like God was calling them to their heart, I urge you to join. Uh, if my residents are in the room, would you guys raise your hands, former and current? You guys look around, give them a clap, go talk to them. They would love to talk to you about the program. And, and I think the last piece of information I would really like to share with y'all so we can get acquainted at this point is, like I said, my name's David Chan. But majority of you guys might know me better as D-Chan. So you can call me David, you can call me D-Chan if you ever see me on campus, at a coffee shop, wherever. Just don't call me Dave, okay? I'm not, I'm not at that age yet, I'm really not vibing there. When the time comes and I'm like maybe 60, call me Dave, go ahead. So. Uh, A little bit about tonight's message. I decided on the title called Are We There Yet? And kind of the inspiration for this was this movie I saw way back in the day um, called Are We There Yet? Uh, The actor Ice Cube, well actor slash rapper Ice Cube played a dad with his kid and they're in an RV trying to travel to your final destination. But the whole principle there was that the kid the whole time was asking your dad, hey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, for those of you guys who might be parents or potentially one day will be, you'll probably run into the same problem. But the principle here is that they're wanting to get to your final destination, and until they do, there's always this tension, this impatience of wanting to go home. And, and that really brought inspiration for tonight's message: Is are we there yet? But I have the answer to that in this por- in this portion. It says, "No, we're not there yet. But here's what we can do while." We wait. And, and this kind of transitions into tonight's main topic and that is to have an eternal perspective. And not just have an eternal perspective, but what do we do when we have an eternal perspective? And I think throughout scripture, we are called to have an eternal perspective. However, there is one person I think, besides Jesus, in the Bible that I see really show this well, and that is Paul. And, and he's gonna bring us into tonight's passage in 2 Corinthians. But guys, before that, I would love to pray, give a quick prayer. Uh, so if everyone wants to bow their to heads, I'm gonna pray real quick for us. Um, God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the, for the leaders in this room. I thank you for all who are here. We know that everyone's here for a rhyme and reason. God, there's a purpose in all of us being here. God, I pray that, that the gospel will be shared clearly tonight. In your name I pray, amen. So tonight's pastor will be in 2 Corinthians, specifically chapter five, verses 16 If you guys want to open the Bible app on the events page, we'll have the verses there as well. But just a little bit before we kind of jump in, the book of 2 Corinthians, I'm going to give you some background. It is a book in the New Testament. And like I said, it was written by the Apostle Paul. If you guys don't know who the Apostle Paul was, at one point, Paul, named Saul, was one of Christianity's greatest enemies. He killed, he murdered, he he tried to destroy every Christian in sight. His whole life goal was to destroy Christianity. However, one fateful day he would come face to face with God, and his whole eternity and trajectory of his life changed. And now Paul was actually Christianity's greatest weapon and asset. And Paul would write 13 of the books in the New Testament, half to, close to half. The New Testament itself has 27 books. But of those 13 books, 2 Corinthians is probably his most personal book that was ever written. It addresses the highs and lows. It addresses the joys and struggles, the privileges and sufferings of ministry, and how still through all of this, God is sovereign and God is faithful. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21, Paul is reminding the Corinthians that the work of Christ has been done if you have placed your trust in Jesus, we have a new perspective on life and we're called to live for something greater than this life on earth. That is to have an eternal perspective. And a good analogy to think about, I wasn't able to bring it up here with me, is usually if you can think of a long rope, right? Just like a really long rope. And at the end of that rope, there's just some tape, some red tape. And and what this rope represents is eternity. But but what that tape that's at the end of that rope represent is our life on earth. We, we live, we were born, then we go to school, we carry our lives, get our jobs, and then we die. And that's the end of that red tape, if we can use a color for it, right? But the rest of the rope is still there. And that is what Paul and the Bible is really calling us to live for. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, verses 16 and 17, they'll be on the screen. From now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him to us no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So in verse 16, Paul kicks us off with describing that through his relationship with Jesus, he no longer lives with a hostile mind towards God. He acknowledges the work of Jesus in his life, and he also acknowledges that the Holy Spirit is in him. And that through Jesus, he now doesn't focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. And it's this same perspective that calls us, if we have a relationship with Jesus, to not just focus on the now, but to focus on the forever. And he goes on and reminds them in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. I read this This verse right here, and that's such an incredible promise, guys, don't you think? Paul's saying, if anyone in Christ, that means anyone can come to Christ, anyone can have a relationship with Jesus and gain eternal salvation through him. Anyone means that anyone can come. It doesn't matter what race, it doesn't matter what background, what nationality, what ethnicity, anyone can come to Jesus. And what what Paul also talks about in this verse is this principle of regeneration, that Jesus changes those who come to him by faith. They're made a new creation, guys. The saves aren't just forgiven, they are made new. And being made new is not a surface level thing, but it is God creating in us a new heart and a new life. With that being said, not only must we receive the gift of a new heart and new life, Paul gives us a charge that we need to live out the new life of a new creation, and we see the reason for this charge in the next two verses, and what living out the life of a new creation looks like. Verse 18 and 19, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now Paul kicks off this verse with another reminder that all things come from God, that he reminds us that our eternal destinies and the reason that we can be made a new creation all stems and comes from him. It's nothing that we have done or will do or will do in the future, it's all from God. That that God was the one who initiated this ministry of reconciliation with us, even though we weren't seeking our reconciliation ourselves. And Logan spoke a little bit about this word reconciliation last week. But if you were not here, this is what I've kind of be able to explain what reconciliation is. Reconciliation, guys, is when a relationship between two individuals has gone sour. It has been frayed and they are slowly not at peace. But eventually as time goes and as time passes, these two individuals come together. They put aside their differences, they put aside their pride, and they seek out peace with one another. That is reconciliation between humans. Now, I wanna wanna one up what further, that is reconciliation with God looks a little different. Kind of the same scenario. We got two people and however the only difference is that only one person has done wrong. Right? So one person has done wrong, however, the person who has not done any wrong is the one who initiates this ministry of reconciliation. Now that is what reconciliation with God looks like. Last week, Logan said, before we even turn to God, God to return to us. And now a major key in this verse is the part about God not counting their trespasses, And it's through Christ's reconciliation, God has chosen to bypass our trespasses. Why? Is it it because God has become soft and he's trying to give us a get out of hell free card? No, absolutely not. God has chosen to not count our trespasses because Jesus himself took upon the consequences of our sin and said we have been trusted with the message of reconciliation. And guys, the message of reconciliation, it's really easy to describe it comes in two words. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel that changes, guys. It is the gospel that renews. It's the gospel that restores. And most importantly, it's the gospel that redeems all from darkness to light. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God And the key word I would love to zoom in here is ambassador of Christ, more key phrase. But the word ambassador in itself, what that means is it was an officially designated representative who was sent to speak in a foreign land on behalf of the country that sent them. I also think that to modern day when I look at the word ambassador, now my mind goes straight to company ambassadors. I get to work at Lululemon as well, if you guys know Lululemon. Um, And within Lululemon, there is a local ambassador and there is a global ambassador. And more so in Lululemon, I also think of back in college, I had fraternity brothers who were Rockstar ambassadors, like, like the energy drink Rockstar. Their whole gig was to pass out Rockstar to every fraternity guy in the house. That was a juiced up house, if I could say so myself. But it would just be cases and cases of Rockstar with a bunch of fraternity boys who don't know what to do with it. Um, or if I bring back one... Step further, when I was a little younger, it, it was the reps, the Pure Vita bracelet and anklet ambassadors. I don't even know if any of you guys know what that is, but, but I remember everyone was like, oh, you got to get my code, look at this cool bracelet, this anklet, and I was like, that's so whack. <laughs> but I eventually got one. Um, I was in college, you know, like I said, young fraternity guys, what else are you supposed to do? You have money to spend. But... All great companies, I'm getting off track, but if I could be an ambassador though, just be with me here for a second, it wouldn't be any of these companies. The company that I would 100% be an ambassador for is called Orchard Valley Harvest. Anybody hear of that brand before? A lot of blank guys, no worries. So what Orchard Valley Harvest was is that they're a company that really has a lot of cool, like good healthy snacks. You see them at TJ Maxx, you see them at Target, And they had all kinds of like granola snacks, which was great. But the snack and the main and really only reason right now I would be the ambassador for this company is the chickpea chips. Let me put you on right now. We're taking a little detour, but let me put you on. These chips will change your life. Not eternity, but it will change your life. Okay, specifically the white cheddar ones. It's so crunchy, so flaky, and yet with every crunch, there's so much flavor in them. There are a few grocery stores here that sell it. Some have sold out. The white cheddar one on Amazon, you gotta wait till October. Um, So I can't tell you where it's at. You kind of just have to guess. If you know me, you probably know where it's at. Anyway, in the same way that as an ambassador of Christ, or the same way that an ambassador of, like if I was an ambassador, I would go proclaim excellencies of Orchard Valley Harvest, as an ambassador of Christ, we are called to share the message of reconciliation because it can only come through a relationship with Christ. And Paul then goes on to make a plea for all to be reconciled with God himself. And Paul had an eternal perspective because he had a relationship with God. Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that him and in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul then goes on to explain how Christ is able to reconcile us with God. And guys, it's through this reconciliation process that one of the greatest transactions in all of human history takes place. Every time someone comes to Jesus in faith that he's their Lord and Savior, one of the greatest exchange in all of humanity happens. By coming to Jesus, Jesus is taking on the consequences of your sins and my sins, and he gives us his righteousness. Therefore, not only has the payment for sin been, been fulfilled, but we ourselves have been made righteous with God because of Jesus trading us that. That's one of the greatest exchanges. That, that when we come to Jesus, our sin is credited to him. And in exchange for his righteousness, we are wiped clean. Clean slate, and we're allowed to have a standing with God. The the big term is called imputation, if you're wondering. And this verse right here should really bring us so much joy. should really bring us so much hope through our ears because this exchange that happens every time someone comes to Jesus is offered to everyone who will receive it. But here's the thing. This message of reconciliation that that we just talked about the gospel that, that us people who are believers or who claim they're Christians have said they believe in somehow has lost has been lost in transition throughout our lives. In Matthew, Jesus says that the harvest is ripe but the laborers are few. And I think this is so true, guys. Because we've been accustomed to just being in our own little bubble after coming to Christ. We we. Play, we Place our trust in Jesus and we're saved and for some reason, life happens and we get busy and we go to church, we do the thing, we get complacent though, that's as humans, that's a very natural thing that happens. And we're so fine with just staying in that bubble. We're like, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna go serve, I'm gonna read my Bible. And that's it. And those aren't bad things. I do not want you to hear that those are bad things. But God right here, I I can't but help believe this, that, that God is calling us to do more than just be in our own bubble. He's telling us to take a step of faith, some obedience to go share this ministry of reconciliation and this message of reconciliation that saved us. Because every time we stay in our bubble, what that's doing is developing a temporal perspective instead of an eternal perspective. And Paul... Paul knew that God aspires for all to have a relationship and an opportunity to have eternal life. So what did he do? God provides Jesus as the means to this. But here's the problem with that: is Jesus himself is not going to come down to witness directly to us. That's our job. That's our job to carry this message to all in our domain. And guys, Paul had eternity on his heart, and therefore he had an eternal perspective. And we should as well. if you have a relationship, if you call yourself a believer and you've placed your trust in Jesus here, we have the same calling. We need to have eternity in our lives. Paul had that. And the reason for this, we need to have eternal in life because life, life is short. So that brings my first point. Keep an eye on eternity because life is short and I I think we see this reality right we see this reality in in the world every day there's always crime rates there's all there's all things that happen Uh, sickness COVID whatever you want to call it life is really fragile and I think in scripture it says this too and people had this perspective but I think one person that really nailed this down goes by the name of James he was Jesus's brother and he wrote the book of James and in James Four, verse 13 and 14, he says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. James brings to light this fragility of life, of human life and how each moment is truly a gift for God. Each second, each minute that we take a breath, that we take a step, that we move, all can't be done unless it's through God. Unless it's through God's permission, through his sovereignty and provision, he provides us another second, another minute, another breath. However, I think as humans, though, we tend to struggle with this thought process because I feel like in this day and age, we get really easily swept away. Life gets so busy, so, so we don't even have time to think about this. I think this is the, one of the enemy's greatest weapons against us. I think the devil wants us to get distracted in social media, in our lives, in, our, in uh, whatever we want to work towards. He says, you focus on this. Don't worry, I'm working behind here. And I think as Christians, we have the calling and we have the charge to be aware for this. And I think of of urgency in the sense of um, alarm clocks. Who here is a big alarm clock person? I know some people who aren't. Y'all are a whole different breed. If you look at my alarm clocks, it's like 6.10, 6.15, 6.17, 6.30. I'm trying to go to the gym in the morning and it's bad. And then the snooze button, don't give me time like talking about it. it's like level after level after level, and it just rings and rings and rings. But what the alarm clock does is it provides urgency in our lives, right? It shows us and reminds us, oh, the alarm clock, sorry. But like I said, the alarm clock or that, that timer that set, it reminds us of the urgency of whatever we have to do, right? The things that we're so distracted for. Did you know there's another clock in this world too? Uh, If you look it on the internet, it's called the world death clock. It's funny, world death clock. Um, Here's some statistics for you. Per year, every year, 56 million people die. Per month, close to 5 million. Per day, 153,000. A minute, 106 people die. Each minute. And I had a 30-second timer right there for a reason. So you go ahead and do the math and count how many people just died. And per second, 1.8. I don't know how they get that number, but 1.8 people die. And it, it's, it's, it's real. It's funny, right? But when we talk about it in this sense, but there's a reality to it. We get so distracted by, by the sound of the alarm clock that we forget that, man, God is calling us to something else. Right? It, it, it's every second someone is gone. It could be someone you know. It goes like this. One. Every second counts. Every moment counts. Guys, we all have an internal ticking time clock. Like I said, the devil wants us to be distracted. That's why we can't. That's why communion is important. That's why we need to be focused straight to the cross because what the cross did was that physically it might have not cut the time clock because death is coming for all of us. I can make you that promise right now if you didn't know that. But what the, clock, what the cross did was that it saved us eternally and spiritually. But like I said, we get distracted and I, I definitely got distracted. I was a fraternity, right? Um, and I remember, it's fun, because you see your fraternity brothers, when you first meet them, you're like, wow, this dude's kind of scary. What's he going to do? And then you grow, up, you grow up a little bit the next year, and you're kind of buds, and you grow in your friendship. Um, and the thing with that is, I've come to find out through my years in college that something guys don't do really well are um, talk about their feelings. They, they don't talk about what real life, what your struggles are. They, they, they're really pretty surface level and that's a generational thing that has to break. But when I was a sophomore junior in college, I remember I saw one of my fraternity brothers on a Sunday. I saw him at a restaurant, I think. Uh, I think it was Bear's or Ebbets. And then Monday comes through, I remember I was like, we had a good conversation, how's, how's life? He's like, it's good, it's been chilling. And uh, trying to graduate, I'm like, I, I understand. And then we get to the next day, and we went our separate ways. I'm at home, and, and just hanging out with some boys. And one of my buddies said, hey, you gotta come in this room. I was like, okay. So I come in the room, I, said, I felt like he had some urgent thing to tell me. And he goes, I need you to sit down. I go, why? And then, so I was like, you just sit down. I did. And he goes, so and so, has died. The guy I saw, my fraternity brother, I saw on Sunday, on Monday, ended his own life. We all have a ticking time clock. And guys, I'm not here trying to be morbid. I'm not here trying to make you sad before the week of conference. But what I am here is to remind you that we can't live for this earth. And not only that, Guys, this is why conversations are important. As I think in Team Track, they talk about having a sphere of influence. Everyone in here is a unique individual that was created by God, and God has placed you in a certain domain, a certain sphere of influence for a reason. He didn't just drop you off at that work. He didn't put you in this sports team. He didn't put you in this sorority. He didn't put you in the school, in your, in your church for no reason. He puts you in those places and provides you favor so you can have a ministry of reconciliation conversation. You can have those messages of reconciliation so we can share the gospel with people. And I think that's one of the greatest, uh, most incredible things that I get to do now is I get to go to Missouri State and to other campuses to hopefully meet guys and have these conversations. Is it weird that I'm a 25 year old at the dining hall? 100%. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I have no idea. Actually, I'm just kidding. Obviously, I do. But the reality is, it's kind of weird. And guys will hit you with so many surface level questions, and they're like, wait, what are you doing here? You're in a fraternity? I'm like, nah, I was, though. It's a good time but it's important. And I, have, and I get to have these conversations with them. And when we talk about death, it's really interesting. People start perking up when death starts being a topic of conversation. is because we don't ever talk about it because we're either too scared to acknowledge that it's coming or too busy. But like I said, we all have a ticking time clock. And here's the thing, though. The reason we all get uncomfortable when we talk about death in any way whatsoever is because we aren't home. The title says, are we there yet? We're not there yet. There's this tension that we live in, which brings me to my second point. Keep an eye on eternity because we're not home yet. And I think of the term home here, I wanna hone in on this. Home, when I'm talking about home, I'm not talking about an actual building, right? Some people go back to an actual building, they call home, and it's not the greatest of situations. When I'm talking about home here, I'm talking about a place of peace, a place of comfort, a place of safety, we feel safe at home home for me will be very different for home to you but whenever we leave our home there's usually a tension that is associated with it and I think for me for the longest time home for me was in Malaysia my family my friends my whole life and then I moved to the United States and I remember the weeks, the months before I left, the amount of tension that was just going through my heart was crazy. I remember I was a little kid and I asked my mom and dad, I was like, am I having a heart attack? And I was just really sad. Um, I come to find out. But, but you get the gist. There's a tension when we leave home. And that was for me at one point in Malaysia. Now home for me, obviously, physically at Springfield. But home for me, is a, is a lovely place called Branson. Some of you might know Branson Mo, they got lots of good things, don't sleep on it. Um, great coffee shop, vintage Paris, go check it out. But I think home can be described in so many ways, right? But here's the thing, our original home was in the Garden of Eden. At one point, humans didn't need to be reconciled with God. We, we lived, actually lived at peace with God And sin entered the world and we got kicked out of the garden into exile. And that's why we live with this tension. This wasn't our original home. It wasn't God's original design or his original purpose. Or I could give you another two description. Think of it another way. Home to me could be the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys fan every year after they have a subpar, seven and eight season. Right when that minute changes, they're back to, we're winning the Super Bowl because they won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. They did win yesterday, though, so I'm gonna give you guys your, your flowers. It's okay. Um, or people who grew up in the lake, Table Rock, Lake of the Ozark. A lot of people who grew up in the lake. They love the lake. They love going on the water. They love going on the boat. They love jet skiing, water skiing, all that stuff that I can't do because I'm not athletic enough. But they want to return to the lake. Right, So the, on the weekdays, they go work, they do their jobs, but the whole time, all they're thinking about is, I can't wait to go back on the water. They want to go back to the lake. And in that same way, all we really want to do is go back to the garden. We want to go back to the garden. Ever since we have been exiled, we long to go back home to be reconciled with God and to live at peace with him forever. And God provides a way in a sense. He sends his son Jesus to die for us. So we get a saving grace through Christ. Spiritually and eternally, we're home. We, we get to go home one day. But physically, the reality is that we are still here with physical bodies. And Paul knew this very well. He says in Philippians 1 verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew that he wasn't living for this He knew he was living for eternity. He was living for the end of the rope, but he also knew that right now, in that moment, God has not called him home yet. So he has been entrusted and he's entrusting us with this ministry and message of reconciliation. Paul had an eternal perspective. And here's the thing, guys. As Christians, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, we all have this natural pull to go home, to be home with God for eternity, but here's the thing, but before that time is here, we are called to be the light of the world. In Matthew 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Guys, Jesus is telling us, hey, there's still things to do. His last thing to us, his last command to us before he went back to heaven was, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've trusted you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Guys, Jesus calls us to have eternal perspective. Paul knew that. Do we? So it's truly my prayer that everyone here would have that eternal perspective. If you don't, develop it through having a relationship with Jesus. That's one way you can do it. You can grow your eternal perspective by spending time in the word, doing spiritual disciplines, right? So that, that's my prayer for all of us. And the last point, point, not necessarily a point, but it's more of a question. And it's like this. It's where is your home located? Where is your home located? Are you living just for this uh, end of the rope, this, this temporary earth? Are you putting all your eggs in the basket for earth right now or are you living for eternity? Are you focusing on eternity? And guys, a part of my role here at Young Adults, like I said, is I get this sweet opportunity to go to campus to have guys and to meet them, to get lunch with them, to get coffee with them. And one of the coolest parts, I get to learn about their lives. I get to learn about the things they love to do, their family, their background, what their struggles are. And I asked him so many questions. It's really a gift, but, but I get to ask him two questions without a doubt, I think I will always ask. And, and these two questions are this, if you died today, what is the percentage of you going to heaven? From a zero to 100%. And the second question is if you died and came face to face with God, and you asked why should he let you into heaven, what would you answer? And I ask those two questions because when someone answers those questions and what they answer me with, that reveals everything about their walk with God, if they have it or if they don't. And it's not some question to throw away. Those I think are some of the most important questions we have to ask. And not only ask, but we also ourselves have to reflect because as humans, we tend to forget a lot, don't we? We tend to get distracted. And depending on what their answer is, I'll try to meet up with them again. And this is my favorite part, and I get to share with them this verse. Some of you guys might heard it if you grew up in church, if you've just been around. And it's, it goes, Romans six twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'll die by that verse. That verse is so powerful as a foundation for the Christian faith, it reveals both the Old and the New Testament connects them both. It gives us a way to share this message of reconciliation. And a part of sharing this verse is this, uh, this little chart that we get to go over that I want to put it on the screen. And this chart, it separates. We're separated. You see, man and God, we've been separated by sin, right? Sin is the most expensive thing on earth. It is, because sin can only be paid off by the blood of Jesus Christ. It can't be paid off by any works we do or wanna do or try to do. We could give all the charities in the world we want. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're gonna be forever separated with God, right? But in this chart, we see three X's. And on these three X's, that shows people's different perspectives or walks with God, or not have walks with God. And the first X, that might be someone who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't care about Jesus, or has no way to know about Jesus. The second X is what I would, I would uh, classify a lot of the people here. I would classify a lot of us, a lot, a lot of people in the Bible Belt, a lot of people in the world. The second X is defined by someone who says they know Jesus. They've heard about him, they've heard the stories, they've been to Sunday school, they've been to VBS, they've been to Awanas, they've done everything. They read their Bible from time to time, they go to church here and there, but they haven't placed their full trust in Christ. They they know the lingo, but they don't live out the life of a new creation because they're not created new, they're too scared. The last X is someone who's decided to place their trust in Jesus, right? And whenever I go through this with guys, I get to ask them this question is, where do you place yourself on these three X's? And they'll just place yourself one, two, or three. But a lot of the times the most common one is that second X. And I ask them, why? Here are some, here are some answers I've gotten. Um, I've not been baptized I, I haven't gone to church enough. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't done so, so, and so. I'm not good enough, but I have to be good enough to get to that third X. And I think that is the lie the devil wants us to hear. That's why our world's so busy, right? And it's in these questions and these answers they give, it reveals everything about what they think about Jesus. What we think about these Xs reveals what we think about Jesus. And so I also get to ask him, I said, well, what does it look like for you to jump then? He goes, well, I feel like I haven't done all those things yet. I haven't been baptized. Guys, can I tell you something? When Jesus was on the cross, there were two other people with him and one confessed and placed his trust in Jesus. And Jesus said, you will be with me in heaven. You think he had time to be baptized? No. And the the problem of I'm not good enough. Well, guess what? You're not gonna be. Because if you're gonna work towards something being, work towards being good to gain you salvation, what is that threshold? How good do you have to be? How much things do you have to do? And more importantly, how much time do we have? We just talk about every second counts. We're not guaranteed that second. We're not guaranteed that second. In Ephesians 2, eight and nine says, for by grace you've been saved through faith is a work of God, not a result, is a work of God not a result of your own doing. And to summarize that verse, it just says you don't have to do anything. God knew that we need a savior, so he provided Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future, and he hands us this gift. (laughs) And the only thing we have to do is accept this gift. It's so simple, it's so simple. The gospel is so simple that a child can understand it, yet so complex that an 80-year-old believer will continue wondering questions about it. It's one of the most powerful things. So my question to everyone in this room, again, is, is where is your home located? Where are you on these three X's? All right, so if you wanna bow your heads, I'm gonna pray, we're gonna have some people um, down here and we're gonna have a time of worship.